In the beginning was the word. See, you think uh, religion is for suckers and easy marks and mollycoddles, huh? You think Jesus is some kind of a sissy, eh? Jesus had guts! Hi and welcome to History Makers, I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with the legendary Mal Fletcher. Uh, now I was just telling Mal that uh, when I was a, a youth pastor many years ago, he was running Youth Alive in Australia. He came and preached down at Coffs Harbour at the Youth Alive rally and I just had never heard anyone tell so many jokes and pack such a punch in his message. It was just, it absolutely changed my life when I was a, a young fella. And uh, Mal now runs Edges TV and 2020 Plus in the social media. He's on BBC, on Sky, on all sorts of uh, media platforms all over the world. And we're here in Brisbane uh, today having a quick chat with Mal uh, about uh, what he's doing these days. Before we do that, let's go back to the beginning, Mal. You became a Christian uh, at a young age in Melbourne at the age of 11. Tell us about your family upbringing and, and how you uh, started out in the faith. Yeah, Matt, it's a pleasure to be talking to you. Um, basically, I, I'm the eldest of seven children, which I always describe as more of a circus than a family. Um, meal times in our place were like World Federation wrestling. Um, if you weren't quick, you didn't get anything to eat, which is why I was quite skinny as a kid. Um, but we, we had a mother and father who weren't preachers, they didn't run a church, they worked with children, um, but they really loved God from the time that they were in their youth. And so they raised us. Uh, my dad didn't drive a car for most of the time we were kids for health reasons. So every Sunday we would walk two miles to church, all seven of us, like the tribes of Israel, and two miles back again. And then at night, us guys who were the eldest in the family got the thrilling pleasure of walking another two miles to church again and back. Um, but it taught me a real respect for the things of God. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful. My father passed away a couple of years ago, and I still look at him as one of my heroes for his sheer consistency of faith over many years. You know, it's the greatest thing you can pass on to your kids, not money, but a heritage of faith. And we've, we've doing that now with, with our adult um, kids. Now, one of the uh, legacies that you've left behind in Australia is, is Youth Alive. I know so many uh, people who are in ministry today because they were impacted at Youth Alive rallies and Youth Alive camps uh, when, they were, when they were younger. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the Youth Alive days and uh, your memories. Well, Matt, yeah, they're great memories. I still look back on it as a, a time in my life that's hard to replicate. It's, it's hard to live with something like that and then move on from it. Because it, Youth Alive really was not an organization started by anyone. In, in a sense, it was a phenomenon, born of the Holy Spirit, which some of us were privileged to lead at the time. I just happened to be, uh, in, in a sense, the right guy in the right place at the right time. Um, and then there were friends like Wayne Alcorn, Pat Masiti, you know, Danny Guglielmucci from Adelaide, uh, all on, a, on this wonderful team that we had. And God did an amazing thing. We were just privileged to be there. Of course, when God is doing something, you have to be wise about not screwing it up. So we could have done the wrong thing and messed it up, and I'm grateful that by his grace we didn't. But they were great times. We saw in the early days, I mean, it grew from 300 kids in Melbourne where we, when we started in 81 to over 60,000 in Australia within 10 years. And that's not including New Zealand. Now it's in Germany, it's in England, it's, it's been exported to many countries of the world. But um, if you'd asked me then, did I believe that it would get to where it's now? Probably not. It's really a God thing. Now, the other thing that I've uh, been watching in the media over over years has been uh, Edges TV. Uh, it's uh, played on the Christian Channel here in Australia, uh, all over the world. Tell us what Edges TV is all about. Um, everything for me is mission. So if you ask me a question, 
I'm going to give you a mission answer. And the answer is that when we were called to Europe in 94, 95, went to live there, we realized very quickly that even a smaller percentage go to church in Europe than in Australia. Um, though it professes in some parts to be still Christian in tradition, people don't go to church and it's not Christian in practice. But whilst most people don't go to church, they have at least one television set and most now are hooked up to very high-speed broadband. So in 1995, we made a decision to put a lot of time and money into a series then of 13 programs based on a book I had written called Burning Questions. And it was to be called Edges. And I, I still have the document the first document we wrote about edges. And uh, since that time, it's been seen all over the world. Many, about 120 countries, uh, we believe, have seen it. Actually, in Australia, it used to be on Channel 9 for a while and on Channel 7, which was interesting. It's a, it's a Christian worldview response to major social and lifestyle issues. Everything from the heavy ones like um, global warming and political correctness and people trafficking and HIV AIDS all the way down to, more, to softer things over the years like time management, um, relationship, marriage. It's really about social issues, and we're not trying really to preach to anyone. We're trying to show that Christianity has a rational response to the major questions people are asking. Um, in whatever culture, we get letters or emails from now all over the world from people saying, you know, it's very intriguing. I didn't know Christians believed this, you know. And the other uh, ministry you're a part of, or mission you're a part of, is, is 2020 Plus. Uh, you're very big into social networking. I, I follow you on Twitter and Facebook, and I, I retweet most of your stuff because it's so good. Uh, tell us a little bit about 2020 Plus. What, what's all that about? 2020 Plus is a think tank uh, on social change and forward-looking leadership. It's not. I tell people it's not a Christian think tank. It's a think tank run by a Christian. Um, the, the aim is to help first of all, to help organizations deal with future change. So part of my work is as a futurist. The other side of the, of the coin, though, is to comment on major social issues into the mainstream media. And so I'm often asked by the BBC, television, radio, Sky TV, newspapers, magazines, for comment on issues ranging from is journalism dead in the age of the web all the way across to um, are children over-sexualized? these days. So some heavy questions, some lighter questions, um, but I have the privilege of speaking to millions of people about these and without being overtly Christian, giving them Christian values, uh, I think sometimes the church has been guilty of wanting to preach too quickly to people who are not yet engaged. Um, And I'm working very hard to try and engage those people, to shift them a little bit in a direction where perhaps in future them hearing preaching may actually resonate and have an effect. Um, So 2020 Plus is a think tank. It's heavily based on uh, research and then publishing that research in the media. Now, you, you mentioned uh, the, the term futurist. I've been uh, fascinated to uh, learn about what futurists do. And there was actually a futurist at my church, a, a guy uh, who was a lecturer uh, in, uh, from Japan, and he just moved back to Japan because apparently the future's brighter over there, he told me. <laughs> but uh, tell me, uh, as a futurist, how do you see Australia? Uh, in, in the future. How do you see the church in Australia uh, in the coming years? Uh, you, you're based in Europe, but you, you travel here a bit. Uh, you've obviously got relatives and friends here. How do you think uh, the, the church in Australia is looking? Is, is the future looking bright? Yeah, I think the church has got a great future in Australia. Um, I think it has some challenges. Uh, we shouldn't downplay the challenges. I think the challenges include the church in Australia, particularly the evangelical wing of the church, has got to learn to think more than it does. It's got to lose its fear of thinking. Um, uh, 
uh, the, the, the big issues we face now globally on which the church does have something to say require articulate, thoughtful Christians to be involved. Um, and so we've, you know, we've got to break away from this idea that we are here simply to have good meetings, to seek what we used to call revival, which really in biblical terms isn't revival at all. Revival in scripture and in church history has always led to social reformation. If you see a phenomenal reviving that isn't leading to social reformation, I don't believe in the end it's of God. At the time it may have been, but we haven't carried it through as we should have done. So I think we've got to think more than we do. We've got to see that we have a responsibility beyond the salvation of a soul. That's very hard for us in the evangelical church in Australia, and specifically the charismatic Pentecostal church. Um, we, you know, for a long time, we believe the Great Commission is go and preach the gospel. I actually believe that's half of it. The other half is you are salt of the earth, light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We have a social responsibility. And so when I'm talking about something that isn't leading to social reformation, I don't believe in the end it's of God. At the time it may have been, but we haven't carried it through as we should have done. So I think we've got to think more than we do. We've got to see that we have a responsibility beyond the salvation of a soul. That's very hard for us in the evangelical church in Australia, and specifically the charismatic Pentecostal church. Um, we, you know, For a long time, we believe the Great Commission is go and preach the gospel. I actually believe that's half of it. The other half is you are salt of the earth, light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We have a social responsibility. And so when I'm talking about something like you know, the sexualization of children, that's just as important as, as in some ways as preaching John 3.16 um, because it is showing people that, that Christ has answers for specific issues, but we don't have to Bible bash you to get that through to you. We can share it in a way that is affable and warm and positive and engaging. A friend of mine puts it this way, Matt. He says, um, you, can't, um, you, you, you can't be a, a, an agent for change unless you first engage the cultural conversation with curiosity. And I say it this way, we're often like in the church, we're often like the sad man at the party who, um, who goes to the party, stands in the background, arms folded, scowl on the face, waits for people to be having a good time, and then jumps in with something heavy and negative to say and wonders why he's never invited back. And we've got to stop doing that. We've got to engage the conversation. Where it is now, what people are talking about now, we've got to engage with that and, and connect the gospel at that point. I know there's uh, some similarities with the church in Australia and the church in Europe, but uh, many would say Europe is a, is a much tougher ground for the gospel, or uh, some would say postmodern. But I've heard you say pre-Christian. Tell us about that. Yeah, people confuse in Europe post-Christendom with post-Christian. You know, for centuries, Europe was also known as Christendom, the heart of Christianity, the place exporting Christianity to the world. Um, now it is post-Christendom, after the Enlightenment, you know, you had Nietzsche saying God is dead and we have killed him. You had Rousseau saying, you know, yes, God is dead and, and the state should take his place. We're still living with that today. You had Marx saying it's all about class struggle. God is dead. It's all about class struggle. All of these Enlightenment thinkers put the church in Europe on the back foot and the church, instead of being proactive, became reactive. Um, and as a result of that, we lost that position of being the sending body for Christianity in the world. Um, but I don't, it is post-Christendom now, but I think that's a good thing for the church. I think we're closer to the book of Acts now than we were then, because in, in the book of Acts, you know, the apostles didn't have any rights. They had no power. They couldn't demand to be heard because they had a status in society. They were nobodies. Um, but they changed the world. 
In fact, within several generations, they changed the world. So we are not, we are post-Christendom in Europe, but we're not um, post-Christian. We are pre-Christian. We are almost back where we were in the book of Acts, in a society that is highly diverse. There are lots of religions. Most of them have nothing in common with Christianity. That's exactly the environment Paul and Peter walked into. Now, I'm just so excited to uh, to hear um, you know what, what you say about you know the church needs to be full of people who actually think, who don't just you know uh, get out and talk the talk, but actually walk the walk, put their life behind it, uh, strategize, plan. You know, it's one thing I love about uh, a lot of the things you put out on Twitter. It really stirs me up as a pastor. I'm thinking, okay, I need to, <laughs> I need to have a read of that blog. I need to re- look into that. Um, tell me if if you had a chance to uh, to speak. Uh, to uh, to a bunch of pastors, I know you've been speaking at a breakfast here at Brisbane today. Um, if you had a chance to speak with a bunch of church leaders in Australia about the next steps we need to take uh, to uh, uh, to fulfil the Great Commission, both spectrums of the the Great Commission that you've talked about, what would you what would you say in a nutshell to those those pastors and leaders today? Um, well, today we had a breakfast for civic leaders and business leaders. Yesterday, yes, was for, for key pastors in Queensland, the leaders of some of the larger churches, and I was privileged to do that. I said to them yesterday, one of the, someone asked me great questions, very perceptive. Young guys said to me, what would you do, Mal, if you were planting a church today? Um, and I really had to think. I said, well, probably the first thing I would do is draw a circle around my city, a five-mile radius, and ask these questions. Who is moving into the city in the next five years? Who is moving out of the city in the next five years? Why are they moving in or out? What types of people are being drawn into this city? What types of people are leaving? Are they young families? Are they professionals? If so, what kinds of professionals in what spheres of influence? Um, because if we don't study the demographic of our city, we can never be effective. Um, we are not here primarily. I would say to pastors, we are not primarily here to build churches. We are here primarily to extend the kingdom. If we extend the kingdom from the base of a local church, we will build a great church. But if our goal, our end, is to build a church, we'll fail. We may gather a group of people for a while, but it won't go anywhere. Because we are not called to build a church as an end. The church is a means to an end. The kingdom is the end. Seek ye first the kingdom, Jesus said, and all these things are added. So draw a circle around your city. Ask How's the demographic changing? Who's coming in and out? And then ask, what kind of city do I want it to be in 10 years from now? And what will I do now to set it in motion? That's got me thinking. Uh, you know, I just think it's such an important uh, issue uh, to know uh, the harvest, to know where, where you're planting, what you're doing. Now, that's brilliant. Now, we've got to wrap it up in a moment. Uh, before we do, uh, if there are people listening that are thinking, you know, I like this guy. He's a thinker. He's he's uh, he's stirred me up. He's he's challenged me with some things. There might be people listening that aren't actually Christians that don't have a relationship with God. Would you speak to those listeners about how they would connect with God? Yeah, I'd love to. I think it's the most important decision you ever make is what you say to this man Jesus of Nazareth. You know, I often ask people to think about the impact he has had on history. Whether you're Christian or not, you cannot deny that Jesus Christ has probably had more impact as a single individual. In, in three years of public ministry than probably any other human being in history. Think about it. He came from a town of no more than 500 people. You couldn't find it on a map in its own time. He spoke a language that is now almost extinct. If you exclude Mel Gibson's movie, it is pretty much extinct. Um, he, he, he had no college degree. He ran for no political office. He commanded no armies. And yet in three years of public ministry, remember, there was no digital technology to spread his message. It was all face-to-face talking. Within three years of that, he had, he had changed the course of history forever. 
And people have been willing to not just preach about him, not just talk nice teaching that he gave us, but to lay down their lives. And they still are laying down their lives in persecuted uh, communities around the world for his name. Napoleon once said, Charlemagne, Alexander, myself have all built empires built on force. Only Jesus built an empire on love. And right now, said Napoleon, there are millions who would die for him. Think about the impact Jesus has had on history and then say to yourself, what impact can he have on my life? I believe the greatest impact Jesus has is changing a human being one at a time. And you can be changed if you just put your faith in Christ. Your life will look the same on the outside for a while, but it definitely won't be the same on the inside. And what's inside will eventually get out. Your world will change because of that walk of faith within. Mate, that's good news. I reckon a whole bunch of people would have been impacted and, and uh, touched to hear you say that. So if people want to follow that up and, uh, and uh, contact you, look, look into your ministry, uh, listen to more of your stuff, what's the best way to contact you? Well, contacting me is difficult, but go, going to the websites is easy, very easy. 2020plus.net, that's the numbers, 2020, and then the word plus. .net is the think tank on social affairs. There's a lot of stuff there of what we've done in the secular media and with corporate leaders. Edges.tv, you mentioned earlier, is where people can watch our half-hour documentaries on those issues. Uh, they can stream it free. They can write back, give us their feedback. We love to hear from them. Um, let Next Wave Online, nextwaveonline.com, one word, is our main mission site. And it is very much content driven. There's so much content there and leaders and others come from all over the world to that site every week just to get the content. So nextwaveonline.com, edges.tv, 2020plus.net. Well, mate, I reckon you're history maker. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, mate. It's been great. If you'd like to download this interview, just go to www.historymakersradio.com and also you can make a donation if you'd like. I'm Matt Prater. Have a great week. History Maker.